Welcome to the Lore Ladies, two bookish besties working in the animation industry. We are your hosts, Laura and Lauren, known collectively as the Lores. Join us as we talk all things nerdy and entertainment. We discuss books, movies, animated shows, and we'll have occasional guest stars such as talented folks from our industry and authors of your next favorite book. Okay, welcome to episode four. Today we are going to be discussing writing craft. So, how would you rate this uh, episode, sweetness? Ooh, I would have to say this episode I would call like a nice banana bread kind of level of sweetness where it's like naturally sweet but still, you know, satisfying. Like banana bread. I really don't think it's bread. It's more of a cake, but they call it bread. So, you know, take that as you will. Banana bread. I like it. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> um, Lauren, what are you reading right now? Before we jump into writing, what are you reading? Um, yeah, so I am very nearly done with book two of the Blood and Ash series by Jennifer L. Armentrout. It is so, so good. So book two is called Kingdom of Flesh and Fire, and it's just really fantastic, and I wholeheartedly recommend it. And I'm just about to start reading The Fate of the Spectrums, which is a sci-fi novel by Nicholas Lawrence Carter. I managed to get an ARC release copy of it, which I'm very excited about. Um, comes out October 26th, so look for it on Amazon. Oh, and it will be on if you have Kindle Unlimited, which I do not. But if you have it, it'll be on Kindle Unlimited. <gasps> Yay! That's exciting. Um, I'm yeah. currently rereading Akotar, as, as I do from now now and again. I'm almost done with it. So the next book on my list, which I am going to be reading, is um, V.E. Schwab's new book, uh, release called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, um, which already has a bunch of great praise and she just sold the movie rights. So like it is hot off the presses. So I'm really excited to read it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's she's awesome. all over the place right now with like um, getting pickups and TV series. And yeah, she's, she's doing great. So that's incredible. Uh-huh. It's the dream. <laughs> for some, I guess. Some people probably totally. not, but <laughs> Yeah, for some. But very, very cool. So what other series is coming out from her? Um or Yeah. From her works. I know she just sold the rights to oh, she and some I think it was maybe she and some other people worked on this like vampire short story anthology. And her short story in particular, I think, was purchased by Netflix. And they're creating like a YA kind of Buffy-esque series based off her short stories, which is just so cool that you can sell an entire concept off of a short. Um, I don't know. It's just so fun. And um, I know my husband and I really love her darker shade of magic trilogy and like really want to try and develop that for animation because it would be really fun so lots of properties that is so cool that's really cool to hear about a short story pickup that's 
pretty and pretty incredible really i mean you have to get a lot like make a big impression for someone to want to green light a series off of a short story so right <sighs> so shall we dive into um writing craft let's super exciting um so biggest question lauren are you a plotter or a pantser what works for you well um you know what now a little bit of both so i used to be just plantser. strictly a pantser a plantser mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah so i really just pantsed my way through my first novel and had a lot to go back and fix and a lot to really look closely at afterwards um and it worked for me because it was very magical. It was like a magical experience of discovering the story as it unfolded. And there were whole scenes that I had no idea were going to happen until they happened as I wrote them. Um, but I spent more time editing, way, way, way more time editing than I did <laughs> actually writing the first draft. So for my second book, I kind of took it a different approach and plotted a bit. And that's helped me a lot. What about you? You know, about the same. Like, I think at my core, I'm a pantser. Like, the whole reason I write is because I love when characters who start in my brain, like, I write them on paper and they do things that I didn't think they were going to do. And I think that moment when your characters are truly alive and they surprise you, like, that's the whole reason I write. And before I started writing, I thought that was the stupidest thing when people would say that because like you're writing the book, how does the book surprise you? And having experienced that, um, it's something I would never give up. So I, I think I fall in the same group now also being a planter. <laughs> um, makes me feel like a giant plant. Um, <laughs> a, a planter because, uh, you know, very much similar to you. The first draft of my novel, I pantsed my way through, you know, 60,000 words, which wasn't quite the whole novel, but a good chunk of it. And, you know, here I am two years later still working on it because I had really cool pieces, but not a story. And it feels more like sculpt, like, um, old school, like marble stonework sculpting where like you slowly just like chip away. And like, it takes a while and sometimes you knock the nose off and then you're like, well, now I have to change this. <laughs> um, that's what like pantsing feels like to me where you can create something really cool and magical, but um, <laughs> it's a lot of work. So now I try to plot, you know, 70% of my story and like I have a nice like 30% to play with. Yeah. And totally. I, I relate to that so much. Of, I remember we both heard that from Sarah J. Moss herself, mm -hmm. where she said she tried to control Aylin and she couldn't control Aylin, that Aylin did whatever she was going to do. And I remember being just like mind boggled by that. <laughs> like you are writing this story. How are you not in control? And it's not until your characters actually do things, which you didn't expect that that made sense to me. I was like, oh my gosh, it just happened. I remember my characters got in an argument 
that I didn't plan. And I got so annoyed with them. I'm like, why are you arguing right now? This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is not what you're supposed to do. This was, this is, you were supposed to kiss. This is not working. <laughs> but then in the end, I was so surprised by that. I'm like, it actually really works, but it's fun stuff. Definitely. The discovery of the story. And I feel like if you have characters that actually come alive, you've done a good thing. Like you're not forcing your character, your will upon your characters, the hand of God, you know, the hand of the writer. It's really authentic when your characters, you know, think for themselves. It's exciting. It is. I agree. So I had something that I wanted to talk about because while I was reading this book, um, I was very interested to see that um, the inciting incident for my current book, or actually, I well, the inciting incident did not technically happen until 37% of the way through. Really? And, yeah. Um, and I don't want to do any spoilers in case somebody hasn't read the book, but Generally, the advice is to make the inciting incident at 15% of the way through. Mm -hmm. You know, you give a little lead up and then the real thing that turns the story and sets the story fully in motion with all the character agency that you need should be about 15%. I think that's a solid rule for, you know, an early writer or somebody that doesn't have a lot underneath a, a lot of uh, experience. But it's interesting to me, you know, Jennifer, I'm not sure how many books she's written. She actually has a, a ton. Yeah, I was really surprised. It's like 15 or could be more or less than that, but it was a bunch. So, and she's a fantastic writer. So I just thought, well, that's really interesting because when you're a really good writer and when you really know how to capture an audience, <laughs> you can break any rule you want. Yeah, I, I feel like... In all of the lectures and conventions I've gone to talking about writing craft, usually the recommendation is to get to that inciting incident as quickly as possible. Like one of my favorite, not my favorite, but a book series I really like, um, the Selection series, which is like um, YA romance, prints in a ball in a contest. Um, the inciting incident is page one. Like it, you, you're in it. It's immediate. You have no before. And um, I've always tried to write that way because it feels so compelling because you're just dropped in it. But uh, it's hard to try and get your inciting incident that early, especially in fantasy. And I feel like maybe that is the kind of the key because I, you know, I read that same book series that you're reading right now. And there's a lot of setup to really understand the culture and the characters and the religion and all of that so that the inciting incident makes sense and feels like a real conflict. Um, so maybe it's because I love fantasy that I want to believe that you get a little more leeway <laughs> for the buildup because <laughs> of the genre. Um, and that may be the case, um, but I know that from hearing from like literary agents, they're not going to pay much attention to you. They're not going to read that far. If to try and find they're, it. they're just <laughs> not going to stick with yeah. you. They're like, what? I have to read all of this with the slush pile that they've got. 
Um, and I guess that's probably more of where the advice comes from is if you don't want to get discarded from that slush pile, make your inciting incident earlier so that you capture them. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you're out there, I guess, and you've got reviews under your belt and all that, then more people are going to trust you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting case, though. Well, and actually that kind of segues into, oh, I'm no, sorry. I was going to say the same thing, exactly the same thing, but you may say it. <laughs> Making promises <laughs> and setting up payoffs. Oh, that's my favorite part. <laughs> the payoff. <laughs> oh, it really is awesome when you get to pay something off, when you get to lay a little kernel and you know what it is and you're going to pay it off later and just the reader's brain is going to put two and two together. And I guess that's another thing is giving the reader two and two. Don't give them four. Oh, my gosh. Don't just tell them what it is. Let them figure it out. And that's the joy of reading. Yeah. Please don't give me the spoon. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is my biggest. I, I will say that is my biggest pet peeve as a reader is when I'm spoon fed. Yeah. Um, that's really what ter- uh, the Sword of Truth series turned into very uh, dogma with spoon feeding and I just couldn't, I mean, but also it was like, I forget how many books, 10 books in the series, 12. Yeah. By the end, maybe it was harder to come up with that much content, but yeah, the spoon feeding. (sighs) But uh, do you have a favorite book or series that you feel like does the best for making promises and doing a payoff or do you, Do you have a specific way that you like to write in order to make sure you really pay off your setups? Well, I do think that Sarah J. Maas is a master of setting up the payoff. Her payoffs are like when you realize that she set up something in book one that pays off Mm -hmm. in book three, you're just like, dang, that skill. The thing about that, though, for me is that If you're going to set up a payoff over a series, it's got to be really, really subtle. At least that's my perspective. It shouldn't be something where the reader goes, there's something here. Yes. Yes. Like that's the thing like answered in that book. Mm -hmm. You have to drop enough clues that every clue doesn't seem super important. You know, you can't be like, and she looks at this thing over there and you're like, she never looks at this thing. Why is that important? So it like sticks out and it's not so subtle. And you're like, well, of course I'm going to pay attention to this thing that you point out. It's like, don't look at the man behind the curtain, but do you see there's a big curtain there? Um, <laughs> it's that kind of a feeling. So it's definitely something to, it's a true craft to be able to put in those breadcrumbs so that, you know, you notice them, but you don't think about them. Yeah. And I think that if the breadcrumb is a little too big, it should be paid off in that book. Mm-hmm. The birds will eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I think that kind of goes hand in hand with making promises, yeah. actually. You know, if you've set something up in the beginning of your book, you should be ready to pay that off later so that the reader when they follow you through all the way to the end and you don't have like a merciless 10% in DNF, do not finish, pay off all of your promises. 
and leave your reader satisfied. I think that's really important. I completely agree. There's nothing worse than being excited about a book, reading through the book and just like waiting and being like, oh, it's going to happen. Like they say it's a romance. Like I can tell this is romance. It's just like, but there's no, like (laughs) none of the relationships are compelling or, you know, there is actually no character arc and nothing really happens or, you know, can be a million types of promises. But I think the most satisfying books, even if they're small in length or, you know, scope, as long as they have a good payoff on the promises, you know, you're usually pretty satisfied at the end. I have to do a little plug because your novel, which is coming out soon, has one, I think has just like the greatest payoff in the end. And like, when it comes out, I'm super excited for people to read it and feel like I know exactly what Lauren was talking about with promises and payoffs because her book is, does all of that. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You're so sweet. I I like Blanche. I'm like, what? (laughs) Who, me? (laughs) All the same. Well, thank you. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's because it's important to pay attention to those things. And I know what I like as a reader. And I, I want to deliver that as well. There's nothing worse than just not getting what you hoped for or expected from the book. You want people to be surprised in a pleasant way, not Mm -hmm. let down. Or surprised and confused. That's also not good, but (laughs) yeah, it's like, oh, that was a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually. um, So I was listening to a podcast that is very awesome that I recommend writing excuses with Brandon Sanderson. And he has all kinds of different guests on there. Um, They do a great, great podcast. Um, There was one where he talks about making promises and he talks about an author that had a book that came out at the same time as him and he had read it and then he realized why he didn't like it. And it was because it didn't make good promises. It went partway into the book as like a regular fantasy swordsmen and knights and all of that Mm -hmm. you know and then the book completely inverted and the author flipped everything on its head and the author had thought well you know I just I make it surprising by doing that and he goes well actually I think you broke promises because the people that would like that first part of the book are then totally let down by the second part of the book or the people that don't like that kind of book don't even get to the second part of the book because they're going to DNF on it because it's not their thing. So that's a pretty, pretty big broken promise. Well, maybe the author had, you know, thought he had a great idea and maybe in some context in this, maybe in a shorter context, Mm -hmm. it could be good. But when you're relying on somebody to really invest hours, hours and hours to read. That's how I felt about the outlander series. So, (laughs) um, which, very long books. Um, the first book I loved, you know, time travel, buff men in kilts, like I'm in for it. But then very quickly, it's like, oh, and then they go back to current times and then they go to the Americas. And I'm like, I don't want any of that. Like you were promising me <laughs> like Scottish Highlander. Uh, so like only the first 
the first like arc was I a fan of. And after that, it was just like, you know, all this that you were building up and this fan base, all of a sudden you go left field and, you know, very quickly lose the reason why people enjoyed your um, work to begin with. To be fair, I'm sure many people yeah. enjoy that book series in totality. But like for me, I was just in it for Jamie Fraser and, you know, Scotland. So <laughs> totally, <laughs> you know, sorry, that's a most a recent pet peeve. <laughs> Still fresh. <laughs> uh, so. Being a writer, and I would also call myself a writer, um, are there any tools or books or just kind of things that you've used that have really helped you along your path to writing your debut novel? Um, well, a recent tool that you and I both got, the Fabulous <gasps> yes, which is a deck of cards. It's very simple. Um I never thought that I would be one to want to put like post-its up everywhere. Um, particularly because I don't really have a place for it, but I decided uh, my husband found this for me and I got it and I thought, okay, well, if I'm ever really like struggling with something, uh, maybe I'll turn to this. And it's basically the fabulous deck is based on the hero's journey. Um, so it's what it is. It's, it's, described as being a framework for fiction writers. And I actually broke it out when, um, so I com completed a, a novella to go, it's a prequel novella, but I was uh, almost done with it and I didn't know what was going to happen. I was struggling with it and I'm like, I'm not sure how this is. Oh no. Happen. What did you do? And I put it aside. <laughs> I, I left it for a long time. I shelved it. I was like, I'm not sure about this right now. It feels forced. I don't, you know, I, I'm just going to let it simmer. Um, so then I broke out the fabula deck and it really, really helped me. I went back into the story. I added stuff earlier on, which the fabula deck helped me realize what it was lacking. And I got to get to a resolution that I'm like, this is what happens. This makes sense. Yay, fabula deck. <laughs> 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 we can make a jingle. <laughs> I would do it, but then people would use it, and you know, I don't do free work. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Anything um, you recommend? There is one book in particular that's really influenced my writing more than any other, and uh, it's really well known. It's actually mostly used for screenplays. Uh, it's called Save the Cat. Super classic. It's by Blake Snyder. And it's really a step-by-step -step breakdown of the three-act structure and essentially beat for beat what needs to happen in your story for each scene. Um, there is a spin-off version of Save the Cat, which is like a novel, uh, specifically for novels. I've read that. I don't particularly like it as much as the screenplay version. I just feel like it's a little more concise and cleaner. Um, and that's really helped me a ton with my framework. Um, at first I was really against the idea of this really strict kind of like, you know, beat four needs to be this moment where the theme is stated for your book. And I just thought it was a crazy idea of like wrangling yourself into this 
you know, chapter by chapter framework. But the more I read books and the more I kind of analyzed movies, the more I realized that really all things kind of have the same structure and the same cadence and the same, you know, there's a conflict and a midpoint and, uh, you know, everything is bleak moment. And all of this happens in almost every single novel or book. And yes, sometimes there are successful ones that don't follow the structure, but I think it's rare. Um, so once I really kind of accepted that and just kind of gave in to the fact that, you know, there's a very specific cadence for a lot of stories. Um, I've I found it so helpful just using it and then like not feeling beholden to it and then exploring off of it, but really as a starting point. Um, it's been just, I would never go back. <laughs> so good. Yeah. There's also, um, I wanted to, I just thought of a few things, but there are, there is a wealth of information on YouTube as well. Like lots of people that have different channels. I watch a lot of uh, screenwriting ones myself. Um, and I find that they're very applicable, just like the save the cat one for screenwriting. It's very applicable to, to writing novels or even short stories. Um, it's just a matter of how long is it? Does it need to be compacted or longer? That's really just what's going to dictate the flow. Um, but there's so much out there that you can find. There's a lot of free mm -hmm. resources. YouTube, Brandon Sanderson has all of his. Oh my gosh. Lectures I just want to take free. a week off work and just watch those and work through them. Like so bad. <laughs> well, I will admit that I listened to all of them. <gasps> I won't tell your boss. <laughs> For shame. It was always during times where I didn't have to really use my brain too much. Like if I'm, you know, because in animation, I'm a, a, both a technical artist and a, you know, artistic artist. If I'm on the artistic side and I'm painting something, I don't have to think as much and I can listen to something. Just get in the zone. Just get in the zone. Yeah. <sighs> the only problem though is, the, the want to jump over to my notepad and jot down <laughs> notes. That's the difference is that I have to just absorb it and not go over it. Yeah. Right. I notes. mean, but really Brandon Sanderson is so prolific and God, he writes so much. Like I just, his uh, draft count and his word count on like his website is insane. He, I think he said he writes about like, six, 7,000 words a day, every day on top of yeah. everything else he does. And those are just words for his drafts. Like he, for the way of Kings, I think he said he wrote over 400,000 words of just like exploratory, like world building. And I was like, damn, yeah. that's a lot of words. <laughs> it's a lot of words. Um, yeah. And I feel so bad for his editor, but um, he, he takes the iceberg approach where he's like, I have to write mm -hmm. the whole iceberg. I know my reader's only going to get 10% of it, but I want to know and write all of it. And then Method. I will trim it all down. <laughs> I'm like, that method is definitely not for me. I can admire it, but also it's because I can't write. 6,000, 7,000 words a day. That's just oh, not man, that's crazy. Um, speaking of how many words a day you write, 
I know both you and I have participated in this 50 word fiction challenge, which is much less than 6,000 words a day, <laughs> but <laughs> challenging in its own right. Um, oh, there's a word pun, right? <laughs> 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 um, how has that process been for you? How have you liked doing your 50 word a day short stories. I find it so much fun. Um, you know, it's really freeing. It, at the same time, it's limiting because it has to be exactly 50 words, um, which at the onset, like at the very beginning, it sounded like such a challenge. The first time I wrote one, I thought, okay, this is probably good. I think, I think this is about 50 words. And it was 78. And I was <laughs> like, huh, huh how am I even going to take out that many words from this and still have it be a thing? And by, I, I don't know, maybe halfway through the first time that I did it, uh, I could tell, I, I could hit 50 words pretty much without even trying. It would just be mm -hmm. exactly 50 words. Um, but I think it's a really great challenge and I really recommend it to anybody that likes to write. You know, it, it will teach you the art of brevity. Word choice. Um, it will teach you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my worldly wise, you know, <laughs> jumping in there. Um, and uh, I also learned the art of the penny drop, as Neil Gaiman calls it, because I watched Neil Gaiman's masterclass. And he talked about learning the penny drop from writing these super short stories. And it's totally true. It's how do you drop that last line that makes the reader rethink, regardless of how long the story is? Like, send them in one direction and then give them give them a drop that goes oh wait what people have been calling be so you out on that so left and right on your instagram every time you post one people are like oh snap <laughs> but it's so fun it's so fun to see that and see people have that reaction in just 50 words or less i feel like an infomercial in 50 words or less you can still get that oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah, it's surprising how much you can do with 50 words. So I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. I think I'm going to be sad when, when October is over. And I've I'm not decided doing I'm going to do but... it slightly different next time. I think I'm going to do one continuous story the entire month, every single day, and then just add on it with 50 words every day um, to tell one full short story. Uh which I think will be interesting as well as like a different take on it. So I am fully on board with this idea. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah. I love it. It'll be fun. Are you going to go yes. from a prompt or are you going to just, I think I'll still use the word prompts because uh, we've both been using different versions, but uh, inktober were word prompts. So whereas a lot of our friends are doing drawings every day based on a word like teeth or mermaid or whatever. Um, instead, we're using that word in our story or maybe as inspiration for the story. Like I try to use it literally in there, but like sometimes it's really weird to put in there. Like moist. I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one particular scene that that And we're talking and... about cake, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously um but yeah I thought it would be really interesting to do like a continuous story with the word prompts and try and figure out how to not break it but still weave the word prompts in um so I think I might try that next month as um as 
uh, NaNoWriMo starts up, which we can do a whole nother podcast talking about, which we probably should once that starts. But oh, yeah, ugh, all the good stuff. Yeah, I love that idea. That's like a double it's, challenge. Yeah, yeah right? essentially. <laughs> well, I for one can't wait to see that. Thank you. It's going to be so cool. So uh, one thing that I picked up, so we went to the uh, Writer's Digest Novel uh, Writing Annual Novels, yeah. Novel Writers Conference. Thank you. Oh, uh, last man. Oh, man. I want to go so much year? again. <laughs> but, but it's not uh, the same yeah. digitally at all. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. I would love to go, but it's really hard to, especially, you know, I've got little ones here. They don't let me do no. that stuff. But I definitely, I feel like we picked up so many great writing craft tidbits there that I wanted to share. Um, and one of them was always ask yourself, am I trusting my readers enough? Yeah. And this kind of goes in line with the spoon feeding. Like there's no need to spoon feed your audience. Trust them to be smart enough to put the two and two together for the payoffs. Trust them to be smart enough to figure things out on their own and they're going to enjoy it more. I think it's even better if sometimes they're questioning what happened a little bit because it'll make them talk about it and think about it. And sure, maybe you might answer it more explicitly later, but like in the scene, you don't have to tell me that we're arguing, you know, like I can tell we're arguing, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but um, I completely agree with you, Lauren. I think that it's just insulting sometimes. You know, it, but it also depends on your audience. Like if you're writing for like middle grade or children's books, you know, they are younger and use a bigger spoon. But uh, I think for anyone that does, yeah. older than uh, middle grade, you definitely um, can assume that they are smart enough to read words and think and <laughs> don't need that. Ugh. Yeah. That is great advice. I completely agree. Do you have any advice that you'd like to share? Oh, um, my biggest advice that I have learned and I still struggle with is just to write. <laughs> that sounds silly, but, you know, um, you're never going to write your book if you don't sit down and write your book or write your short story or write your screenplay. Um, there's going to be a million reasons why you decide not to get in front of that pad of paper or your laptop every day. Instead, you're like, I'm going to do research or I'm going to read another book or I'll do it later. Um, but nine times out of 10, if I sit down even for a half an hour to try and get out some words, you know, I'll write something decent. And I might even keep writing. And um, in a world where we're all home all the time and we feel like we have nothing to do, I still feel like there are a million excuses not to write, even though I love to do it. Um, most of those reasons being I'm already in front of a computer all day for my day job. 
Uh, so it can be a little difficult to still want to sit in front of a computer all weekend or all afternoon. Um, but, you know, just write. It doesn't have to be good the first time either. My first draft was terrible and my second draft and probably my third draft. But, you know, sooner or later, like I said, with the marble and the chipping away, like you'll make something that looks like something. And, you know, someone will walk by and be like, hey, that's a potato. And you're like, that's George Washington. But, you know, <laughs> it's close. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about yeah. words is that you can just highlight over them and take that sentence out or re-look at it and swap words around and, you know, go through and clean out your passive voice and go through and remove all your reallys and berries and, you know, all the other little tricks to tighten your writing. You can change it. Don't be afraid of the There's page. nothing more satisfying, too then writing a chapter and like creating something literally out of nothing, a blank page. Like you said, it's, it's, even if it's terrible, like it's such an accomplishment. And you know, a lot of people, even if it's terrible, still sell books. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so that doesn't mean you're not a success. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I wanted to bring up, I, I heard one author say once that they have to write 100 pages to get to page one. And when I first heard that, I thought, that sounds like a huge waste. Because that's like, how long is that? That For me, that took three months on my mm -hmm. first book. And I thought that, no, that's just so wasteful. And then I got almost all the way to the end. And I realized, wow, I got to delete about a hundred pages because that's not the beginning of my book. The beginning of my book is further in and that's where it's interesting. Everything else, like I made it, you can make, uh, you know, starting with a pastoral scene, waking up to an alarm clock for God's sake, uh, just like everything boring and not interesting to a reader. But I had to write that hundred pages to figure out, well, where's my story going? And actually, it felt so good to chop off all of that. It's like cutting off your Whereas hair. My perspective totally changed. Yeah. I was like, new and fresh. Looks great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting up there in minutes. Do you think we should wrap up? Yeah, let's do it. We've got plenty, plenty more to talk about for another time. We sure do. All right. You want to lead right. us out, Lauren? Sure thing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on The Lore Ladies. Um, remember to follow us on our platform, social media. We're on Instagram. There is We're on Instagram? wonderful Laura. We're on What's Instagram? That? Oh, no. We should be. Oh, my gosh. We should get okay. a Lore Ladies on Instagram. All right. Coming to you soon. <laughs> Lore Ladies on Instagram. But you're on Instagram. Be there first, folks. <laughs> Uh, yes, I am on Instagram. I am at Lauren Petrozilka, and you're on Instagram. I am. I'm at Laura L. Homan. Yes, you are. <laughs> and um, you can find our podcast on my website currently. It is www.laurenpetrozilka.com backslash podcasts. Be sure to sign up for our newsletters so you can stay up to date as new episodes are available. 
remember to subscribe and rate our podcast because this is how we can help bring more great episodes to your wanting ear holes. Thank you for listening. Now go spread your love of lore and read a book. And write a book.